Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And Dean Malenko returns today, my old rival, my old friend. Uh, we're talking about his decision to leave WWE after spending 19 years behind the scenes as a producer. Uh, he explains why coming to AEW was an easy decision for him. Which of the younger talent he thinks will be the big superstars in the coming years and who he's really enjoyed working with so far in AEW. We're going to talk about Rey Mysterio because it was basically Dean who put Rey on the map in the United States and why he calls AEW's Rey Phoenix a modern day Mysterio. He's also talking about his time in Japan working with the British Bulldogs, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, some great Eddie Guerrero stories, uh, his relationship with Vince McMahon, what it was like to work for him in the WWE environment for almost 20 years. Uh, but the major reason that Dean is back on Talk is Jericho is to talk about something happening in his life very serious, something he's been dealing with for the last six years or so, and that's Parkinson's disease. Dean talks about his diagnosis, explains what Parkinson's is and what it's been like to live with the disorder and why he's decided to talk about it publicly now. So let's get to it with Dean Malenko right here on Talk is Jericho. It's actually um, pretty cool. We're in Jacksonville for a couple of days uh, in between tapings. It gives us a chance to kind of do some podcasts and, and uh, some workouts and a floor hockey or street hockey tournament. And one of the things that, uh, that Dean Malenko did actually yesterday, we can actually start with this to be honest with you, is he did a seminar here um, uh, at the hotel with anybody from the AEW roster that wanted to show up. And you had a hell of a, of a turnout that came to, to, to talk to you and see you. Yeah, we had a real good crowd. A lot of the kids came out and uh, enjoyed uh, my talk and just kind of going over things that we're looking to get done now and in the future and trying to motivate talent and uh, keep them at a level that we need them. And after the first year of of AEW, um, I mean, we've grown a lot and there's still kind of sometimes things that we can work on. But how has it been for you? I mean, like you said, you and I kind of, I, I had the New Japan buffer, but both of us coming here was kind of interesting because... You know, we've been around for a long time, and you always kind of hear the stories about how uh, something new is going to happen, someone's opened up a company, and it, most of the times it never really works. Um, how has it been for you, first of all, to come here in the first place? Was it a hard decision to make, and then kind of the development? Of the show? Um, they took all but uh, two minutes to make me decide. Really? Yeah, that yeah. Um, it, it was time for me to leave uh, my uh, past uh, past place of uh, employment, and um, from a mental standpoint. And just wanted to try something new, something different. Try to be challenged again, you know. Working with a bunch of young kids that are like on the cusp of making it and just need that one little, you know, step forward a little bit. And I, I thought I could do that here and get a bunch of guys that are very talented and just kind of move them up to the next level. And I felt the same way. That's one of the reasons why I came here to be challenged, you know, to, to, to be challenged again. And also, I, I just found in WWE that we... You knew what, what to expect there. You knew it was going to happen. You knew a position on the show you would be on. Uh, I'm sure for you, you knew exactly what your duties were and what kind of reactions you were going to get, no matter what it is that you did, depending on what kind of mood Vince is in. So I can see your motivation for wanting to come here. But it was a little bit, uh, not scary at first, but a little bit of unknown what's going to happen with us. Yeah, anytime you jump on ship to a kind of a startup company, you, 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 know, you take a risk. There's a risk. Uh, I've taken them before. I've left uh, one place to another a couple times already. So, you know, third time's a charm, so they say. Mm-hmm. But um, I really like what, what Tony was, was about and his thought process and, and what he was going to try to deliver. Had a great crew of guys, and the last year has been a lot of fun. A lot of growing pains. But um, one thing I do like is that the locker room seems to all have gelled together to 
work towards that one common goal, and that's to get this company over. Well, and that's what I was saying. Even I was talking to Evil Uno and Stu came up here earlier, and we were talking. They played in the floor uh, street hockey tournament as well, and it's like. I can't remember any time there was ever that sort of a vibe in, in WWE, you know, where the guys are getting together to put on their own street hockey tournament with the crew mm. and the camera guys, and it was just really kind of cool camaraderie there, right. you know? Well, it's like you watch the guys backstage, even the guys that aren't working the match per se, or the, or the match before, even after, or a couple after, whatever. They're there supporting these guys, and they're cheering them on, they're high-fiving when they come back to the curtain, and it's, it's a lot of fun to see, it's a lot of young up-and-coming talent they're helping each other you know, they're guiding each other it's, it's it's very refreshing to be honest with you what are the, some of the things that we've improved on a lot over the last year like when we all started together as as a live tv crew it was kind of strange because a lot of guys didn't have live tv experience maybe only 10 percent of us did yeah i think everybody's just you know starting to gel together starting to try, there's a trust factor everybody's trusting each other um talent's working a lot harder Talent's getting smarter and telling stories and getting the psychology aspect of the business and uh, what uh, Tony's expectations are from, from talent. They're starting to understand where, where Tony's coming from and what he wants. So I, th- I think we've uh, done leaps and bounds in the year that we've uh, started. And even for you, too, as a, as a coach, as an agent, has your role been more defined as, as time went on? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, get to work with a lot of different people. So that's been fun. Uh, working with guys like, you know, Darby and Jungle Boy, and these guys are nothing but, you know, just sponges. And they just want to learn every single week, and they're very, very polite and thanking you and very much respectful to the guys that have been there that paved the way for them. So, and it's, just, again, just a lot of fun and a great environment. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we, you and I have worked together for so long that they would always just put us together for you to be the, the coach. On- they just figured we were the only two that could stand each other. <laughs> yeah. But I would say it's almost a waste because – I pretty much know what I'm going to do, and I right. can always ask your advice on, on different ideas, but I just thought it was so much better, like you mentioned, for you to be working with some of the guys to teach them the same way that you taught me or, or, or Benoit or Eddie. You always were the guy that kind of helped us put together matches right from the start. Right. No, that was a great, that was a great point, and, and it gives me a chance to work with other people. I get mm-hmm. tired of working with you. <laughs> <laughs> So much to talk to you about, Dean, but we're going to get into the primary reason why you came back on Talk is Jericho. First, I want to say thank you to one of the sponsors making this very important episode possible, and that's Geico. Uh, I know all you guys listening either own or rent your own homes. Most of you do. I know it's hard work, but you know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Just go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. There's lots of stuff to talk about, but something that I think is really interesting that you wanted to jump into was talking about your, your Parkinson's. And it's something that over the years, you know, you've dealt with and, and, and something like right now you're shaking a little bit. And it's, you actually came to me to do Talk is Jericho to kind of discuss the whole situation with, with your condition. Well, I'll kind of tell you what happened was I'm 60 years old. So they say usually around 60 is the age when you start to get it. But I got it about six, seven years ago. And about a year ago, I was a star cast in Chicago. And I was asked to do a Q&A session with Tony Giovanni. And I got a little nervous and a little scared because I was going to be out in front of people. And when, when I've, I haven't really been in front of crowds a lot, uh, and of course I work, you know, which is, which is a different environment. But 
you get nervous sometimes because you don't want people to know what you got. You're like trying to hide it. Parkinson's is a very difficult thing to cover up. Mm. It looks like you're freezing cold, or you, you're drinking it, you're jonesing, or mm-hmm. whatever. And I don't, I don't want people to think that. So that's one of the reasons why I asked you to do this. And that day when I started talking, I realized the microphone was really light. And what I mean by that is things that are very light, like silverware. If there's no weight to it, I'll shake more. Mm. It's just, it's very interesting the way all that works. So I had. Tony or the people there actually gave me a stand and when I put the stand up and the microphone in there I didn't have to use my hands I almost felt like Stevie Wonder leaning in on the piano which I kind of did with my head and I just kind of blurted out you know the damn Parkinson's and a couple of people caught it and it kind of got on social media and ran a little bit but nothing really nothing really big and you know Parkinson's is one of those things where it's a very odd disease um, and there's no cure for it the secret is to Try to find things that will slow the progression down of it so you have a quality of life that you want to spend. Um, my family knows about it. They've been extremely supportive. My kids don't make a big deal about it. We have fun with it. My wife will never let me feel sorry for myself, <laughs> which is really easy to do. Because you go through a, like a gamut of emotions when you, when you have it. It's like you're pissed off at the world. You know, it's the why me? Right. You know, why am I doing it? Um, then, you get, then you get upset when you're trying to button your shirt and you can't do that. Um, but I'm on pills and medication that have really been helping as of late. So I haven't really made, you know, first started out with, um, like, my left hand trembling. Went to a couple of different doctors because there's no blood test or no urine test, no anything that actually says you have Parkinson's. Mm. There's so many different diseases that connect with what I'm doing. So it's, like, the best three out of five. So I had the tremor. Um, one thing I didn't notice was when you're walking, one arm doesn't swing, which is usually my left that's a big sign of Parkinson's. And um, when, you have, when you're clicking your, your middle finger and your thumb together, you're off, you're off timing. And I was always on my left hand, never on my right. So when you put all these three things together, it's pretty much that you have Parkinson's. Plus, that three different doctors that, that acknowledge it all at the same time. So it's been a little bit of a difficult ride. Um, again, the hard part was just trying to live every day, and every day is a different day. I always compare, or should I say, I compare having Parkinson's to like having a roommate that never leaves. <laughs> because every morning you wake up, you have this other person with you that's either not gonna let you get out of bed real easy, gonna make you shake, and it kind of takes over your body. So that could be a little crazy at times, but I'm kind of, kind of getting used to it. But I really have tried to just kind of laugh things off you know, like my 15-year-old, if I'm shaking, she'll come over and put her hand on me, and then she starts shaking, and <laughs> just have fun with it. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. You know, it's, I, I'm not going to get rid of it. It's always going to be there. Hopefully, with um, modern medicine and going forward, that, that we, they can slow this down at one point, and if not, I'll deal with it when, whatever. It's interesting because um, I'm a big fan of Michael J. Fox, and obviously yeah. Mike's one of the guys that has Parkinson's, and then had to quit work for a while, but then made a little bit of a comeback where he was Michael J. Fox with Parkinson's. Right. And there's a great episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where he's him and Larry David are kind of enemies, mm. and everything Mike does, he blames it on Parkinson's. Like Larry's doodling on a magazine and doodles a Hitler mustache on this magazine that we find out was Michael J. Fox's wife's father. It's the only one he has. So then he goes to get Larry a drink with a Coke and Larry opens the Coke and it sprays all over his face. And he's like, you did that on purpose. And Michael J. Fox is like, Parkinson's. Like he's making, right. like you said, making light of it. Like you can't deny it, I think, right? No, no. So that's a great way to look at it. And he, uh, like, 
as soon as I, I had it, the first two people I thought was, that's what Michael J, Michael J. Fox says, and also that's Muhammad, what Muhammad Ali says. Well, who is Muhammad it? Ali. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah right, right, Parkinson's right. too. Right. And even though, even uh, the last couple of years, like Linda Ronstadt has had it. Yeah. And she can't sing anymore, because one, one thing it does, one thing I have done, I spend a lot of time Googling, as, as the rest of the world does, to educate yourself about mm-hmm. whatever. So I was trying to educate myself about Parkinson's and what to look forward to or not forward to. Is that uh, one thing it does? It really messes up with your, vo- your voice, mm. from stuttering to talking really low. Like if I don't remember when Muhammad Ali would speak, yeah, it was solo, you could barely hear him. You, you got know? a gruff voice. Yeah, as it yeah. is. So went from Wolfman <laughs> Jack to uh, whoever. Yeah. But um, and, and like other things like handwriting, when you when you write, you start to write even smaller than you normally do, hmm. just because of the, the disease and also to your motor skills. Hmm. You know, like I notice, like sometimes in the morning it's hard to get out of bed. But I don't know if <laughs> sometimes is that Parkinson's or is that the business? Mm. You know, for thirty years. Right, right. You know, so it's it's hard it's hard to figure that part out. But uh, my big thing was just I want you know I want I want people to know that you know if you see me and I'm shaking I'm not cold <laughs> unless it's cold outside. But I didn't want people you know second guessing. I don't want people feeling sorry for myself. It's it's just one of those things that I that I have that uh, um, you know. Just another obstacle in my way. Do we know at this point what can cause Parkinson's? They've said very anything from um, you know different pesticides to head trauma and somewhat hereditary, somewhat not. Um, basically, there's a chemical in your body called dopamine. Dopamine is what's made in your brain that sends out to your to the rest of your body. And when you have Parkinson's, it de- de- depletes the dopamine in your system. So that's what I'm on now. I'm take four pills a day. It's spaced out through the day. That gives that dopamine, dopamine to right, you? Right. right. And, you know, there's things like when I'm ready, when I'm a candidate for, you can, because at one point, there's going to be a point where, okay, that's not working anymore, so what's next? You know, and you'll try just about anything to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is they put a chip in your brain. And, yeah, really? They're not a potato chip, just a regular chip. <laughs> a chip in your brain where they have a constant dopamine running through your, your brain. I've talked to a couple of people that have been very successful with it. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be successful with it. Another one is the uh, stem cells. Mm. I know uh, I have a cut, there's a couple guys in the business that know what I have. Ray Mysterio being one of them. Ray's been just a great guy about it. In fact, he's always trying to find stuff for me and mm. real good friend. He's been trying to get me literature on stem cells because he, he he's goes. He's used it, hasn't Right, he? yeah, several times. Where he's he talked, goes to like a different country? Yeah, and I think it's uh, Colombia. Colombia, right. And he's went several times and always calls me on it and says, whenever you're ready. You know, I've already talked to this doctor and, you know, there's been a lot of success. The problem is a lot of stuff has to be approved by the FDA. You know, and you got to be careful what you take too because you don't, you know, you don't know what the side effects are or if there right. is any. Well, and that's the thing. That's why he has to go to a different country probably right. for that, right? Right. To, to, to kind of avoid the FDA and that sort of a thing. Right. Is this something, like you mentioned, head trauma, like you mentioned, is it hard getting up because of the Parkinson's or because of the being in the business? Is it something that could have been from all the bumps over the years? Yeah, but I, I wasn't really one of those guys that came off the top rope. No, but just but bumping in general, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you take you take tackles for 20 years yeah. and still bump. Um, I don't know. There's really no way to find out. It's just kind of like an educated guess. You know, really what it was. Right. You know, and to me, it really doesn't matter what it was. Mm-hmm. It's it's not going to do anything. It is what you have. Yeah. yeah I, mean, the, I mean, the only kind of half-assed good thing, I'm not about having Parkinson's, but it's, that it's, it's not a, it's 
it's not something you're going to die from. Mm-hmm. Um, very rare people die from Parkinson's. If anything, it's you know you fall, you hurt yourself at, at an older age, mm-hmm. or you get pneumonia. It's a couple of people because it has a lot to do with your vo- your vocal cords and your voice. Mm-hmm. So you have a hard time swallowing later on in life. But Some people have choked. And then like Ali, for example, you mentioned him. He he wasn't talking at all. No, hardly, hardly he any. lost his right. ability to talk, sort of right. thing. Yeah. Is that something that could be in the future? Could be. Yeah. You know, the, the, the other thing about it is there's no set format. It's not like everybody's going to get this, and everybody. It's only going to be there's like five stages of Parkinson's. Like, you know, you're on probably at a stage one, still stage two, and it's already been six years. So, my progression is really slow, which has been great. That's great. Yeah. You know, um, there's been people that have progression that went from one to five like really fast mm-hmm. and either you're confined to a bed or you're confined to a wheelchair gotcha because what happens is then it starts playing with your your balance and that's when it gets dangerous because you know you're walking ah i you see know? so that's why you're either confined to a wheelchair so you're not given the opportunity or the risk to fall and hurt yourself so well, it's been a lot of fun <laughs> yeah, you know sure, right? the, the the other part of it is you know, they say for anybody that has a disease, it's a 50% chance of getting dementia along with it. Mm. Which you started thinking that actually might be a good thing, because if I did have dementia, I could also forget that I have Parkinson's. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's a plus. Yeah, that's a positive. Is it something like, for example, because you had this, it started when, when you were working WBE, and that schedule was way tougher than our schedule is now, right. even pre-pandemic. Was the was the traveling something that bothered you, or were you still fine with all that? Yeah, what really kind of sets things off for me is stress. <laughs> wow, yeah, never saw that. Um, and just, just nuts, to, you know, just lack of sleep. You know, uh, being out in the heat sometimes will do that. It'll kick things in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Besides that, I you know, I mean, I got other things going on. I'm a diabetic. I've had a heart attack. <laughs> it's funny you started thinking about things, but hey, but at least I have my health. Um, <laughs> you had a so bad run for a yeah, few oh my years God. there. Yeah, I, I always said I didn't need a rabbit's foot. I needed the whole rabbit. <laughs> um, yeah, I, great luck. But, um, you know, you, you life throws things in front of you and you just got to deal with it. And you have. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's, there's, I mean, I remember, I'll never forget the text you sent me. There's a, there's a great picture at the Brian Hildebrand Memorial uh, show that we did years ago of you, me, Eddie, Chris, and Brian. Right. And I think it was after you had the heart attack, you sent me a text and said you were almost the last guy in that picture. You remember scary. that? Scary. Yeah, it was really scary. Because that yeah. was another one that had a really bad heart attack that you right. were, they, they very cl- closely avoided uh, death in that one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's been... Uh, as you get older, everybody starts dropping. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, you start, right. start losing your friends. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, I've been real fortunate. You know, I just kind of roll with the roll with the bait, roll with the ball, and you know what happens happens, and just try mm-hmm. to keep positive as much as I can to the you know from one day to the next. Do you think that was one of the reasons why you, another one of the reasons why you wanted to leave WWE was because of the extra stress that you got from there? Uh, no, not really. I try not to let my whatever's going on in my life affect my work. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it does one day, then than it does you know then it's time to take a walk but you know I'll keep trucking along and do what I can I love the business I love helping guys you know I always felt because my dad was in it that I had an opportunity and I always felt like I feel responsible to keep this business going Mm. as long as I can yeah you know well and that's why once again to have you in AEW is so important because there is so many new guys here 
with the new mentality. But you're very, you're very smart as you understand the business changes. Right. You know, you, well, you have to. You can't right. move forward. Right. And so then you have to kind of embrace the changes and then try and figure out how to incorporate the old school, quote unquote, way of doing things, which always still works. Right. If you can combine those two together. Right. Well, I always said the, the blueprint and the mechanics and the, the storytelling of the business will always be what it is. Mm. How you get there is a whole different story. Right. You know, it's like when you look at movies, I mean, some of the stuff they do in movies now that we never thought of doing 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but the same story of bad versus evil or the guy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy. Nowadays, it's the girl gets the girl. I mean, who knows what, <laughs> right, but right, right. I mean, the, the, the actual story part hasn't changed. It's, all, it's everything surrounding that. So, so mentally, Parkinson's doesn't affect the way that you think or anything like that? No, no. Yeah. Not yet. Knock on, yeah. knock on, uh, knock on wood. Because that's one of those things, once again, like, like a, a, few, a couple of my kids, two of my kids have diabetes right. and type 1 diabetes. And you don't really know about it until it affects somebody that's close to you. And now oh, I know everything about diabetes. Right. It's probably the same with Parkinson's as well. You yeah. don't really know exactly how intricate and when, what it's all about unless you get it. Right. The only, the only time I ever heard of it was, you know, Michael J. Fox, Muhammad Ali, and then we both know Doug Furness, uh, Doug had Parkinson's. I didn't know that. Uh, and uh, Doug had a pretty rough time with it. He was a world-class athlete, world-class lifter. And I think what's harder from an athlete's standpoint is that you're so used to being in shape, and here comes this disease that just kind of takes over your body, and it's, it can be very toxic taxing on your on your brain you know um but uh i mean doug didn't die let's say per se from parkinson's but but he had it when he did die complications yeah, yeah. resulting from right it. so what kind of, of of like physical activity can you do as far as you know to stay in in shape for example yeah i mean i can still do everything i you know if i run or i don't run anymore but Run away from my kids, but I, I mean, like walking. You know, make sure like I'll hang on instead of walking with my arms. I'll walk, you know, neighborhoods, stuff like that. I can still lift. I can still pretty much do everything. You know, I probably wouldn't trust me with a gun or archery. <laughs> you know, especially if you're close by. You know, you might, might be ducking a lot. Yeah, me picking up a gun like everybody should run. Yeah, it's like the scene in Blazing Saddles where the guy lifts his hand. He's he's shaking. Now, this is my shooter hand. Yeah. you know. That looks good. This is my shooting hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I always think of stuff like that. So, so so you can still like you mentioned went to the gym that you still go and lift weights that sort of yeah thing. I can still do pretty much everything I mean, you know I wouldn't try to do like a dumbbell in case something happens and it falls on my face but mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I do things that I feel comfortable doing that I know that's not going to hurt me in any way or damage me gotcha you know talk more about what you learned about Parkinson's and how you're living with it day to day but before we do I got to mention another amazing talk is Jericho sponsor. One that makes it super easy to buy a diamond or any jewelry, and that's our good friend Steven Singer of Steven Singer Jewelers. We love Steven Singer and his famous gold-dipped roses and his jewelry, uh, and of course the great prices he offers. And that's probably why his competition hates him so much. Steven makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better and easier, and he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every customer the perfect price always. I mean, have you ever wondered if you're really getting the best price and are you uncomfortable negotiating? You don't just really like haggling or trying to make a deal. Uh, if you don't like it, then you just got to head to Steven Singer Jewelers because you won't have to negotiate or haggle. You'll get the perfect price, period. You'll never pay more than the guy sitting next to you. And there's a little insider tip here. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down so that you feel like you're getting a great deal. 
Do you want the most important purchase of your life to be based on that kind of pricing and your negotiating skills? I don't think so. And that's not going to be the case at Steven Singer because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you are guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. This is why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. Just go check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or buy online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. So when you mentioned that when you found that you had it, you started Googling and all that sort of thing, did you find out some some facts, both positive and negative? Like, were you really l- learning about all this stuff? I mean, it's a lot to take in all at once. Yeah, you got to be careful, too, because, like, you, you start reading things. It's, it's like, you know, reading social media. You hear so many different opinions, and after a while, you're like, it boggles your mind, and you don't know what the hell to believe anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like they say, there's a, about a million people a year, sixty thousand people a year get Parkinson's. There's about a million people in the United States, roughly, that have Parkinson's. And like one 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 side will tell you the the life expectancy of Parkinson's is normal life, cut by two years, and then another one says ten to twenty years. Mm. So it's like I mean that's a big difference from sure. from one to another. So I try not to read it and to get all because that's the stuff that really plays with your mind. Shit, I, only got, I got 10 years left? Yeah, yeah, what the yeah. hell? But this guy said I only got two years. Right. I still got to add two years, whatever. So I, tr- I try to stay away from it. It's mostly just like uh, the new things that are coming out. You know, I go on the Michael J. Fox uh, site because he, he does a lot of research. You know, like what's coming out there? What are, what are they trying? Mm-hmm. You know, because like I said, it's going to get to a point where some things aren't going to be working anymore. So you got to find the next thing, the next thing that's going to help you with the progression of the disease. So you mentioned that when you, if you take the dopamine, then that after a certain amount of time, the effects of that wear off. Yeah, or you got to try. Yeah, or you got to try something else. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot, lot of stuff. Uh, it's, it's until you try it, you don't know if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and you got to be a candidate for it too. Like right now, I'm not going. I'm talking to my doctor. Like I'm not a candidate for the, uh, the chip in the brain, type deal. And why is that? Uh, because I'm really not at that that point where. I think of the remember the movie uh, Naked not Naked Gun uh, uh, Airplane yeah where they went in the cockpit and uh, Nelson's like what did you eat steak or fish and he said fish and he just started dribbling and he's like his whole body was just like one big thing of jello and I said that's the point where I get to like that we need to start doing something quick <laughs> you know yeah when it really kind of just really takes over I think there's like I said there's different stages and I'm like I'm okay now but you know, down the future, you've got to start looking at things. Okay, well, this ain't working. When this doesn't work, where, where do I go and what do I do next? It's interesting because I know with diabetes, there's a lot of technology that's being, you know, worked on artificial pancreas, all that right. sort of thing. Kind of similar what you said about the chip in the brain. Yeah. But how would the chip in the brain be able to, would it be, would you have to put in a cartridge every while with the dopamine? I don't know exactly how that works. I know there's some kind of like, kind of like diabetes where they have like a belt that shoots the insulin on, in you like on a, mm. a daily so many hours in or whatever I, th- I think it's something somewhere very familiar to that where it's feeding you dopamine during the day where you don't have to like take pills is there any other um, uh, uh, kind of technological advancements that they're working on that saying that seems interesting no I know I you know I know um, like the legal marijuana uh, has been tested and hmm. uh, CBD oil and stuff like that guys try and you know played around with it a little bit it seems to help sometimes it helps you sometimes yeah not as much as taking the actual dopamine pill it's dopamine levodopa which is another form of uh, dopamine you take this four days and they're like uh, 
what happens is after like 30 minutes or something and that kicks in again so they're kind of like uh, it keeps feeding through your system it's interesting when you hear about like you said the medical marijuana i remember brian hildebrand was right. taking that for his cancer and and is that because it just eases your mind or does that actually physically help or i'm not sure i mean they've done reason you know I've, i think probably a little bit of uh, both you know it takes the stress out and stress is probably a big thing of having parkinson's gotcha you know so, but once you, what you're saying is, once you got over the shock of it and kind of learned more about it, now you're just dealing with it and living with it. Right, and that's and that's pretty much all you can do. Yeah. You know, just get through. Every day is a different challenge. Like I said, it's like having a roommate that you can't get rid of. Yeah, right, right. You can walk away once in a while, and you know it's okay. And like I wake up in the morning and jump out of bed, and I go, "Oh, this is a good day." And then all of a sudden, it just kind of kicks me in. So like, know. yeah. So, but you know, with diabetes, it's the same thing. If your sugar level goes low. You can, you know, you get a little loopy. You can feel it. That's right. Same thing when it goes high. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm, I get confused. Okay, is this the Parkinson's or is this the? Right. No, is this type two diabetes? Yeah, type, type two. Okay, type and two. that just came about with all the rest of the health problems that you yeah, had. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably because of my my heart issues that I had. Right. So I had the heart attack, then I had the uh, triple bypass surgery. Yeah, you you name it. I've got I've got like the subway card where I think I've got like <laughs> five punches already. The sixth one free. A couple more, you get the next one free. Yeah. Right? <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Um, is this something that you would, like you mentioned if Michael J. Fox and Ali, is this something that you would be interested in, in not being a spokesman for, but something you would want to talk about more? No, but if I, well, if I could, you know, if there's somebody out there that was listening and, you know, hey, I'm going through the same thing as far as, you know, being embarrassed, and, and you shouldn't be embarrassed, but, you know, it's kind of like a, a man-male thing, I guess. I'm not saying women don't get embarrassed, I'm just saying... Just feels like a, a male thing from a standpoint of, you know, hey, I, I don't shake or, you know, I couldn't have that disease or no, I have it. And it's, the thing is to learn how to deal with it. Were you, know? were you embarrassed about it at first? Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. I didn't want anybody to know that I had it. Mm. You know, and, but the problem is, like, I could talk to you and my hand could shake and I don't even know it's shaking. So other people could see that. And I, I seriously doubt they're thinking, okay, he's practicing jazz hands. <laughs> Or he's cold, or he's or he's on right. something, or he's an they alcoholic. Would think he drugs or something. Right, yeah. right. The way the way the world is now. Right. So because it's not like oh he has he probably has Parkinson's, mm -hmm. you know. Because like I said, there's other things that are connected with with tremors. Um, MS is one, mm. you know, which is right very very popular. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just so many other diseases that that have that connected to it. So you'd, mm -hmm. you'd be looking at somebody going, hey, well, yeah, yeah, Parkinson's. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. you know. We just have to adapt to it, like you said, because there's nothing that's that nothing that you can really do about it. No, not at all. Yeah, I could just you know keep going day by day, and when it gets to a point where it's getting worse, try to find something that'll help me with the progression of it. Mm -hmm. That's real, like I said, the real secret of it is to life quality. Mm -hmm. You know, make sure the quality, the quality of your life while you're here right. and you have it is the best you can make it. Well, especially like you said, your job it has been for. 40 years is being on the road right you know and, and right now thankfully I mean we're very fortunate we live in Tampa it's a very quick flight to come to Jacksonville yep. but sooner or later we'll be going back on the road again yeah but it's not as, as much as we used to it's yeah, not gonna, being away from home right. for a couple days now and this is not going to affect your ability to do that no no because I've already had this for six or seven years right. so it's not like I just I just had I've been dealing with it for like six seven years already mm -hmm. so I'm kind of used to it you know it's funny yesterday um, I'm, I'm really appreciative that you were come to talk about all this stuff but to talk more some a little bit about a wrestling wrestling stuff um i guess they were watching some matches downstairs last night or something and and mgf mentioned 
that they watched uh, uh, me and Eddie versus you and Chris. I guess one of the Nitros mm. matches. And I don't know when you watch those matches. I just saw one the other day of me and Eddie versus uh, Haku and Barbarian. And I don't watch a lot of the old stuff, but it's fun to watch. Do you watch any old matches of yours? Um, sometimes if I'm trying to tell somebody how to do something, yeah. I'll find it and watch it so I can... See, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, Kip Saban loves the thing off the top rope that I do with the gut buster. The gut buster, yeah. So he, he did one yesterday in the ring. He didn't go to the top. You know, I get a lot of the guys, you know, they watch your stuff. And, hey, can you show me how to do that? And, you know, can you show me how to do that? That's really cool. Or... You know, it's flattering, and, and uh, I'm not going to work anymore, so I might as well, you know, let yeah. these guys take it, and, as long as they can do it right. Right. You know. It's interesting, because one of the things that I see when I watch some of your old stuff is how smooth of a worker you were. It's very impressive, because not a lot of guys work like that in this right. day and age. Right. A lot of guys are worried about, you know, are they looking at me, <laughs> you know? Right. Is, is the crowd reacting? Um, how many flips can I do off the top rope, as opposed to... You know, just think of the wrestling aspect of it. And that's part of my job is to kind of bring these, pull these guys back a little bit. You just start thinking, you know, where are we going to be 10 years from now? You know, guys are doing triple flips. And, right. You know, as long as they can sell and react what they're doing, you know, like a Ray Phoenix is, is amazing. Talk about him. How do you, how do you, what do you see in Ray Phoenix? Um, definitely kind of a modern-day Ray Mysterio taking things oh, to the next sure. level, right? Oh, for sure. He's, uh, he's really understand the, the art of selling. And letting things digest with the audience. He's not, when I first came here, he was all over the place. And slowly but surely, he's starting to grasp that with every, when you're writing something, with every sentence, there's a period or a comma. So you can stop, digest what happened, then go on to the next thing where before he was just, it was like one long book with no periods and all the words just got jammed right. together. So he's, he's really improved on that and you can really see the difference. He's probably, to me, one of the, one of the top guys we have right now in the company. The most agile, for sure. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's like every week I watch him, I just get amazed more than, than the previous week when I see him. And like you said, too, also a very good seller, and which is not easy to do when you're wearing a mask. No, no. He has the, uh, like Ray, had that rare rare gift of mm-hmm. his body motions and his, and his body language of getting sympathy from the audience. And he was also about 140 pounds when we were working with him. <laughs> right. WCW, he's like tossing a pizza. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk more about Rey Mysterio uh, after a big thank you to another sponsor who makes this show possible. I'm talking about NetSuite. Uh, If you're a business owner, you know that running a business is tough, but you might be making it harder on yourself than you have to. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down any longer. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and the old software that you've outgrown. Upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. It's everything you need all in one place instantaneously. So whether you're doing one million or hundreds of millions in revenue for your business, save time and money now with NetSuite and join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash Jericho. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash Jericho. That's netsuite.com slash Jericho. Let's talk about that story. Let's talk about Rey Mysterio because you really were one of the guys that kind of put him on the map in the United States. And when you first saw him, was it in WCW? Had you seen him before in ECW? Or? No, I saw him on a tape. He was working... Uh 
he was working psychosis in Japan in a match. Right. And uh, I'm like, holy crap, who's this kid? And Kevin, I know Kevin Sullivan at the time was looking to kind of broaden the broaden the scope of the cruiserweight division and bringing people in from all over the world. Right. And we had guys coming in from Europe and Mexico and man, and I just said, I think I talked to Eddie or Conan and said the, the kid Ray Mysterio is the only chance of him coming here. I said I'd love to work with him because it was such a different, diverse style. You know, I'm the Mac guy and he's the flyer. And um, the funny story, it's been told several times over, but it's still it's still a great it's story. A great story though. Is when we were in Baltimore, it was a great American bash. So Ray just thought basically he was having a tryout match and just a match. He had no clue whatsoever that he was on a pay-per-view until after the fact. And I remember walking in the locker room and staying in Lex and all the big guys were almost like laughing, like, you gotta be kidding me. This, right. this, this kid got a driver's license. He's like 12 years old and he's 100 pounds. <laughs> like he's like, in their head, he's gonna embarrass them. I think yeah, Nash was there, Hall was there, they were on the stage. And when he came back through the first, probably the first and maybe only time I've ever seen the locker room stand up and give a guy a standing ovation. Because at that, at that time in the business, you know, it wasn't Ray Phoenix's, it wasn't all those guys. and. Ray was the guy. Well, and he was so small, too. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I saw him was actually with Benoit at the Super J-Cup second stage. Right. And we were watching him. Like, like I couldn't uh, calculate, and, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what the word is. I, I couldn't figure out with my eyes, with my brain, what, what I was seeing with my eyes. Like, right. how is he doing that? Yeah. But it was the same thing, because right beforehand, Tenru's brother-in-law was um, kind of the, the president. And he, I saw him yelling at Dragon, Ultimate Dragon. Right. And I have to ask him after, what was he yelling about? He said he's yelling about Ray, Ray Mysterio. He says it's embarrassing that he's here. It's going to embarrass our company. And I said, well, just let him have the He said, you'll have the match, but we're never, right. ever, ever. And then as soon as the match was done, he was like, can we sign him for right. you know 50 weeks or whatever the well, hell? One thing I've always, I've always said and I've always stuck by is that when the audience is clapping, cheering, or screaming, you can't tell if those cheers are for a guy that's 5'2", 6'2", 7'2". No, you're cheering because the guy is incredible at what he does. You know, Ray was a quick, really caught on quick. You know, I think a lot of it was Eddie telling him, you know, if, if you work with Dean, listen to Dean. Right. You know, like I would hold him down and not yet. You know, I kind of got him so he was selling everything and taking his time in between all the spectacular moves that he's doing. So he got the maximum benefit from it, but from the audience. And man, he just he just caught on like fire. You know, it's interesting what you just said that, that Eddie mentioned because you were a guy like you were not caught but you were one foot in the <clears throat> listening to the crowd and the technical the part of it and selling and, and taking your time but also too the other foot in being you know a junior heavyweight in japan a cruiserweight in wcw right. working with all of us that were at the time and now it's hilarious to even think about it with the way guys work now but just all over the place 100 miles an hour right. and you that's why i mentioned you were the guy that we would listen to on putting together the match and kind of in the ring because you had that experience that we didn't have of, of kind of the like we said what the real crux of right. wrestling is right I was I was very uh, fortunate that I had like so many different careers like working in Japan for 14 years when I came out of the States and was working for ECW then WCW like I'm not the new kid on the block. I've already had right. put 14, 15 years in, working with a diverse group of guys over in Japan, which which is a great learning place to learn the the art of our business because there was the, you know, the language barrier, 
And then you're working one night, you're working with the Japanese guy, another night you're working with the fit, fit Finley from Ireland, and the next night you're working with the guy from Mexico, the next night you're working with the guy that, from Stampede in Calgary. And so you're working with so many different guys, so many different styles, you know, and then you, that's where, because everybody steals from everybody. I was saying this the other day at the seminar. The secret is you steal from everybody, but then you twist it and you turn it and you tweak it. And you make it your own. Now you own it. Now it becomes yours. Mm. Because there's really only so many things you can do to the human body. You can only twist, turn, throw, toss. There's only so many things you do. Right. But you take what everybody else is doing, even from the past or the, or the present, and you make it your own. You put your own little, own little stamp on it. And that's what I always try to do. You know? Well, it's like, it's like music. Like There's only so many notes you can play. Right. It's how do you put them in the right order, and, and what's the groove, and what's the timing. And that's right. what wrestling is all about yeah. as well. You know, When you mentioned Japan, I kind of want to go through some of your opponents that you worked with quite a bit. One of my favorite matches that I haven't seen in years, but, but and I've told you this, is you and your brother Joe against the British Bulldogs, um, David Boy and Dynamite. It's such a cool match. It's all Japan. What was it like working with those guys? Because Davey was very big and muscular, but he also worked very much like a, a junior heavyweight quote-unquote because yeah, I think he right. learned when he was so small that when he put the muscle on he still had that muscle memory to do a lot of this quick yeah. motion movement yeah it was uh it was a great experience that was in 19 1988 mm -hmm. that match took place it's actually watching it just the other day oh yeah and um dynamite was kind of like on his tail end of the business he was kind of really beat up at that point his hips were gone hips were gone but you know he was with a bunch of guys that kind of took care of him during the matches um they were, um, Dynamite taught me a lot about the business over there. Like, you know, if you don't press forward, the Japanese guys will eat you up. It's until you stop them and show them that that's not going to happen, you'll gain the respect. Gotcha. So that was, that was very, very, because I remember getting kicked by Kawada Mazawa, where their laces used to be embedded in my yeah. chest. I'm like, hold on, this is bullshit. You know, until the next time they kick me, I knock them, knock them for a loop, and the next time it goes from they're holding right. it really tight to really loose. Time in and not for yeah, a couple so seconds, he leaves it on, right? Yeah. Know, of course, he did it in his own language, but he was uh, very, very beneficial and very helpful into, you know, teaching me stuff like that. And he spent a big part of his career in Japan, as we all know. What about as a work? You mentioned he was at the tail end, but still, good is good. Oh no, he was still great. I mean, he was he wasn't doing the the flying headbutt to the outside of the concrete anymore? Thank God. But uh, and Dave, and Davey was the muscle kind of the group, so they really kind of gelled two different styles, you know. Davey was he's Davey was Davey, and he, we had a lot of fun with him. Yeah. You know, going out after the matches and stuff, and he's a character, but a great worker. What about some of the bigger guys that you worked with when you were over in Japan? Because everybody kind of works with everybody at times. Yeah, we um, you know we had a lot of times we got to work with uh, Steve Williams and Gordy, and that was a lot of fun. How was that for you guys as being two kind of smaller guys? But obviously, I'm sure they respected you. Yeah, it was great. We had a lot of fun with those guys because Steve had a little bit of a amateur bat, a little bit <laughs> had a great amateur background. Terry not so much, but he was he was like head over heels over everybody at 14 years old, 15 years old when he started. Um, those guys were a lot of fun to work with, very giving. Both great workers, extremely good workers. What's the psychology for you when you when you work with someone like Doctor Death and, and, and Run? <laughs> right. One of my funniest stories is uh, was me and my brother one night against Doc and uh, Doc and uh, Terry, and Doc's on the uh, apron. I was coming in to feed for a comeback, and I could tell something was going on. And he was getting red in the face, and he was like pacing back and forth like a tiger in a tank. And Terry gave him the hot tag, and Doc comes running in. And he's yelling across the ring, "I don't know what's next." And he's coming out like a million miles, and there's nothing I can do. And I just said, clothesline. So he clotheslined me. He hit me so hard, I did like a one-and-a-half triple Lindy and, landed, and ended up in Baba's lap in like the third row. 
And then he's trying to apologize. Like, no, just, let's just go to the finish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's a very scary sight as he's coming at you. About 280 pounds. And looks a little, look like a bull. Like steam was coming from his ears. And Especially when he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is, which is uh, pretty funny. But, we, you know, we had a lot of fun. Um, there was another night where... Um, you know, like when you go to Japan, you go into the locker rooms, you, the first, you try to find the piece of paper on the wall. It has all the list of matches. So somebody opened their mouth, and they goes, uh, Phil, uh, Danny Crawford, said, how come you guys never work with Spivey or Stan Hansen? You know, never said never. So we get to the locker room, my brother sees Malenko brother versus Hansen. Well, everybody on the bus was like, they couldn't wait. It was like a curtain jerker. Curtain sell up. Yeah. So I, all I remember that I was a bat, I was like a bat. I was upside down the tree of well the entire match. And I think I was hit with everything from a bell to a boot to, I mean, you name it. And somewhere during the match, Stan said, fight back. And I said, with what? <laughs> like, you know, a gun, a, a car? Yeah. Like, I had nothing left. And all those guys were laughing in the bus. And Stan got pissed off because they were laughing. And oh, it was just, it was, it was very, very entertaining. Well, Stan was a wild, a wild man over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always said guys that were so totally opposite from the culture, all, all those guys were, those are the guys that got over, like the Brodies, the Abdul the Butchers, yeah. Tiger Jet Sings. They were so different from the Japanese culture. They were very curious about how these people were. I, when I went back to Japan in 2018, I started with Kenny and then I worked with Naito and Okada and Tanahashi. I, I, I watched a lot of Brody matches mm. and I, I, I gained some weight as well to try because. Like you just said, I'm not Brody's size, but in 2019 on the New Japan roster, I was. I was one of the bigger right. guys and a little bit crazier and a little bit uh, more of a, of a brawling style. And it got over huge. I mean, the headline the Tokyo Dome three, three years in right. a row because of it. But I was smart, like you said, because there was nobody working like Brody that was a foreigner. Right. And not that you could ever work like Brody, but just oh, no. a little bit more wilder, crazier, yeah. just beating the shit out of these guys. Right. And it, it worked. Again, anything that's different from their culture, they would kind of gravitate towards. Yeah. So you worked for Baba and you worked for Inoki in New Japan. We'll talk about both. But before we do, if you care about the security of your online activity, IP Vanish VPN is a quick and easy way to start protecting yourself. It's rated 4.7 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. IP Vanish provides an encrypted connection for all your internet traffic, helping to prevent websites, Wi-Fi providers, and even hackers from intercepting your data. Help keep your financial details, personal information, and online activities safe from threats with IP Vanish. Get started today with this limited time offer and save 50% off monthly and annual subscriptions. Just visit ipvanish.com slash Jericho. Save 50% off monthly and annual subscriptions at ipvanish.com slash Jericho. That's ipvanish.com slash Jericho. What were some of the differences between working for Baba and then working for, for New Japan? I'm not sure if I know well, who was the well, boss. Well, the big went, thing but. was, like, you know, all Japan was more, <laughs> I almost said tag team oriented. Mm. More, more, more tag teams. It was more focused about tag teams than single matches where Liger was the mainstay and he was the guy that was kind of centered around for New Japan from a junior heavyweight, cruiserweight type, type um, spot. So there was a lot more single matches. So after my brother kind of got a little tired of the business and I kind of went off on my own, it was a easy easy jump to go to New Japan from all Japan because now they had a natural transition single, yeah. so I had all the single guys and that's where me and Benoit met and Eddie and Brad Armstrong and there's a whole list of us that were going over on the tours and it's a great bunch of guys to work with you know let's talk about some of those guys let's talk about working with uh, with Liger what was he like awesome he was yeah. you know he was very giving you know very very easy he loved to have fun 
You know, I love the business. Just, I mean, I was a day off, you know. It was just, it was just fun to work with. And he's one of those guys where, you know, you walk in the locker room, you go to the locker room, and I'm like, oh, that's easy. Yeah, yeah, You know, you're like, thank God, it's not somebody else. I remember the first time I, uh, I worked with Liger in a single match. I had worked with Benoit a tag match the night before, and, I, and you'll understand this story more than anybody. I went for a spin kick, and I missed him by probably an inch where no one would ever notice. And he bumped off it, as he probably should have, because it was close enough. Right. And he was so mad at himself that he wanted to do 500 hack squats. So I joined him like an idiot. And the next day, I couldn't even walk. And that was, of course, hardly make it down the steps to the bus, and the bus go to the arena, and there it is. You know, Chris Jericho, Liger, singles match. And I was like, mother, I can't even walk. <laughs> Remember, I had the young boys massaging my legs and that sort of a thing, you know. Um, tell about the story. Remember Liger with the ketchup bottle? Oh, that God. Was it was a high 57. Yeah, he came, he came to the States touring. They were trying to find some different talent to bring back over to uh, Japan. And we went to a Cracker Barrel. And anybody who's ever picked up a catcher, uh, catchers, a ketchup bottle that's not popped a seal yet may know this is kind of like an old thing where you turn the bottle upside down where it says 57 on it. You put your palm on it and you hit it a couple times, it kind of breaks the seal and then the ketchup falls out. But as I was explaining it to him, I had my index finger on it, I was kind of rubbing 57, kind of showing him, this right here is where you use your palm. Yeah. So he puts his finger on it and starts to rub it. And we're all looking at each other like, and I just told everybody, don't say anything, don't correct him. We want to see how long he's going to rub it until he realized the ketchup. The ketchup, the ketchup genie comes out. The ketchup out. was not coming out. Was, um, talk about Brad Armstrong a little bit. Another kind um, of underrated worker. Yeah, what a talent. What a talent. He, uh, all the brothers were extremely talented. Brad was, Brad was smooth, man. He, uh, he, he could do it all. Mm. Best Russian leg sweep in the business. Yeah. That, 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 that's a move we were talking the other day. No, you don't see that anymore. You're right. Yeah, he, and he did it. He, he did it with and he kicked that float over at the same time. It's his finish, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or more just a hot move. Or like a lead into it or something like that. Yeah. But he, that was, he was synonymous with that. You know, that, was, that was his thing. And, you know, when Brad, Brad hooked you for it. Stuff like that. You know, it's old as new. You know, it's interesting. He he was a lot like you in that in in the back, in the dressing room, like just like the 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 class clown. No, he was, he was but in the ring, none none of that. He was right. very serious in the ring. Best nights I ever had was it was me, Eddie, and Brad, and we were at the Hard Rock in Osaka, and they started playing James Brown, and Brad got up and took the the uh, what do you call it the uh, thing off the table the, um, the the tablecloth, and he put it around his neck and got on the bar. And started dancing and singing with a, with a uh, with a bottle, a beer bottle, and he got I got a standing ovation from the crowd. From the yeah, I wish back then we had cell phones and right. iPads and stuff, which we didn't. It was just memory, but it was a uh, very Brad was that kind of guy. He yeah, was just, he was really good with like imitating Sammy Davis and like all the old old type singers and stuff. All the brothers were good, very talented, and very talented in the ring too. As we saw. We start to wind down here. We've, we've talked about him a few times, but let's let's again. Like I, watching this match that I had the other day with Eddie and I versus um, uh, Hakum Barbarian. You were actually involved in the finish because you and Eddie were working on something, and you ended up pushing him off the top rope right into a high boot from Haku. Looked great. Let's talk a little bit about, about Eddie as a worker um, because watching him, you're like, man, this guy was so good. And, and people know this, but you kind of forget over the years right. when you don't see these matches every day because there's so many matches now that are going on with right. guys and he was like a chameleon he could play a lot of different roles you know and I've heard you say this too and it's the truth maybe Sean the only other guy I could think of Sean Michaels the only guy I think of that did this but 
he was just as hot as a baby face as he was as a heel mm -hmm. or vice versa. That's hard to do. You know, it's extremely hard to do. I mean, you could be boob but nothing nowhere like the kind of heat that Eddie could generate being a heel. But then in two seconds, all he had to do was smile and, and now he's a baby face, mm -hmm. you know. And he knew how to play both roles. To the, I mean, to the top. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was he was that gifted, and he, he could wrestle. You know, a lot of people don't think. Uh, you know, he did. He had a little amateur career. He wrestled in high school a little bit. You know, so he had a little. You know, uh, that's the first thing I know. The first time I ever worked with him. And he was he was fine on the mat, but uh, and he had that uh, had that Mexican blood in him. You know, it would fuel and fire sometimes in the ring. But that was great because it made it made it real. Mm -hmm. yeah, he was he was not shy about showing emotion as we both know. He wore his emotions on his sleeves sometimes. And the only thing that used to drive me nuts about it is every match he used to walk out of like, oh, that was, that was bad. Or, yeah. Like, okay. I got to the point where I was like, you're right, Eddie, that was a shit. You know, instead of trying to like talk him, yeah. talk him off the ledge. It's like he's fishing for compliments, but yeah, he's not. No, you're right. He's just really... screaming shit. So I would just walk away. <laughs> you know? So sometimes I, I think he, he didn't enjoy the business because he's so critical of himself, you know. And that's just all about being a perfectionist, mm -hmm. you know. But, man, I always said when he was on, when the light was on, and he was on, there's nobody better. I agree with you on that, absolutely. Was it hard? You guys were so close as friends and, and, and had wrestled so many times. Was it, not hard, but was it a, a strange transition when you're now in the office and, and the agent, you're kind of technically, not his boss, but right. you're kind of in charge of his matches and telling him what he has to do and that sort of thing? No, the, the, only, the only really, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was a battle. The only conflict, the first and only conflict that we really had was we were in Germany and uh, you'll, you'll know Eddie when I mention this. So for some reason, the German crowd could be a little rough. And for some reason, they didn't like Eddie. So- Was they, he baby face? Yeah, who was the baby face Gosh. and Bradshaw was the heel that night. And Eddie got pissed off because they weren't cheering for him. So Eddie did what Eddie does in the middle of a match. Rolls out, grabs the mic, and tells everybody to go F themselves, and they're son of a bitches, and he hates Germany. He hopes he never comes back, and blah, blah, blah. Turn himself heel, basically. Walks out of the ring, and said, Eddie, he goes, not now, I'll talk to you later. Walks right out, get a knock on my door about 3 o'clock in the morning. It's the apologetic Eddie. <laughs> yeah. you knew, you've heard this, Eddie. I look at my little people. Shoulders are up, slumped back. I go, Eddie, sorry, Dean. Go to bed, Ed. Talk to you in the morning, bud. That was it. <laughs> I just see him walking away like this. Yeah, he said down. Hunched over, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> you said earlier uh, that you spent 19 years behind the scenes at WWE. I want to talk about your relationship with Vince McMahon. We'll get into that, but first, a friendly reminder from our pals at NHTSA. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not quite there, you might feel even tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't, ever. To the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they really are. And remember, they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brake right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. Over a mile to stop. Think about that. How long is a mile? And by that time, it's too late, and the result could be potentially deadly for you. Uh, the point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train cannot stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it could end in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way, and you just need to remember one thing. Stop, because trains can't. Talking about, you know, and, and we, we talked about this earlier just briefly, but you worked behind the scenes in WWE for 
15 years, 12 years? Close to 19, like Behind 18, the 19, season. Yeah. So what was your, like, the working relationship with, with, with Vince? Like, what did he expect from you? And did he, did he need, Dean, I need you to do this? Or, like, kind of what was your relationship with him on a working standpoint? It was fine. You know, it's I just assume he trusted you. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we had a great relationship, you know, like the beginning and the, and the middle. It really wasn't bad at the end either. It just had, uh, I just thought it was time for me to go. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, join someone else's, join sure, someone sure. else's show type of deal. But, um, you know, Vince is very stern, and he's, you know, and it's his show when we get that. Um, I don't think he expected anything less than perfection or didn't want anything less than perfection. I, th I think he trusted me a lot. Um, just going out there and helping talent and trying to get the best match and camera angles and, you know, teach guys the business a little bit and help them out. Mm -hmm. Kind of what, kind of what I do here. That's really the, well, sure. you know, back there was a producer. You were called a producer or in it slash an agent. Funny story. So we were at the, uh, uh, what was it, the Hammerstein Ballroom. As one event said, uh, from now on, there's no more agents. I don't know what agents do. You're now a producer because you help produce the matches. So from this day forward, you're kind of like a producer. So I couldn't help myself. I raised my hand and yes, Dean. I go, do producers make more money than agents? And he goes, no, pretty much the same. <laughs> All <laughs> so, right, I'll do whatever you need. But I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm a producer. Right, right. Was it hard sometimes being like in the gorilla position where Vince is there watching? And then when you have your match that you're that you're producing, you have to sit down with the headphones on as well. Right. Was there times that it just gets a little abrasive up there, or what's the reactions that you? Yeah. Have again, you put on a live live telecast most of the times, and uh, you you want it to be the best you can. You know. And again, it's his show, mm -hmm. and if he wants to scream at you, yell at him. That's his business. You know. <laughs> Sometimes you can be extremely, extremely hardened to work in that kind of job in that kind of environment. It's not the easiest environment to work in, work into. There's a lot of guys that could have made, been really good producers who have looked at me and go, there's no way in hell I would ever take that job. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't do what you do. That's, mm -hmm. I used to hear that a lot. I still hear that. You know, I couldn't do what you do. And it is. It's a very taxing job. It's very stressful um, because you're, you're, there's expectations of you to succeed every night uh, and make sure things are different. So uh, it was a ride. For sure. Is it ever hard being a producer when you're putting together a match? Because obviously, I'm sure there's nothing better than when a match goes great and you are behind. Oh, of course. It, and nothing worse than when it doesn't work right. out. Well, I, <laughs> one time there's a match and uh, and uh, I clicked on and and uh, oh Vince, oh he said who, who is this? And I said it's Dean. I know. He said who is this? I go it's me. Which he hated pronouns. And I said I said he well hated pronouns. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he would want to talk about the match. I said well, if you like the match, it's Dean's. If you don't like the match, it's Steve Kearns. Steve wasn't even working there. <laughs> I think Steve, Steve quit before that. But you had, to be, you had to be very selective and very careful when you wanted to play around with Vince. Because if you didn't want to, then you knew that real quick. Right. There's sometimes he liked that, you know, back in the day, he liked that fun with the boys. Mm -hmm. You know, you could joke with them, stuff like that. But uh, there's also a time for you don't do that. Right, exactly. Know? When you your last few years, like like for example, we always worked together. You were right. like, was it, what other guys did you always work with? Mm, or do they still have that there? I don't know if they still have that there. I think everybody kind of works with everybody. Gotcha. And I think uh, TJ, I think he works with the girls a little bit. Jamie works a lot with like you know the Mizzes and uh, kind of top guys with Michael, uh, Michael Hayes, yeah. and um, yeah, I think it's just you know. 
whatever the card is that night. Gotcha. So it's kind of like you know before Cena was always with Arn. And yeah, yeah. There was a Rock there was, was a piece of paper, piece of paper that came out that had you know you you're the producer and here's the guys under under you. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, but they never kind of really that was written, but it never really worked that way. Yeah. You know. Uh, last few things. So here in in AEW, you mentioned a few names, but who are some of the guys that you think over the next few years? Will be the ones that really take this business, take this company to the next level. I tell you, it's really been fun for me because you know when you're working for Vince and you're working on the road there for 18, 19 years, you're in this giant bubble. Mm. So all, there's all these independent companies are out there. I didn't, I never got to see any of these guys. Agreed, me too. So this is like the first time I'm going to see. Like I am so impressed with Ricky Starks. Mm. Like where has this guy been? Right. This guy should have been working for Vince 10 years ago. I don't know when he broke in the How business. How did he fall through the cracks? Yeah, mm-hmm. like there, there's a guy we talked to the night. He should be by himself. That that kid's money. Mm-hmm. He is so confident in the ring, and he's he's the guy that you walk in the bar and just look at him and go, he looks like a dick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Miz, that's what Miz got over, him. and Miz busts his ass mm-hmm. every night. He works hard, and um, it was funny, you know. Ricky was so excited about the the outcome of the, uh, the match that he just had with Sting. He was like crying in the hallway. Goes, oh, was he? Yeah, but but it was great. It was cool because it was like, I go, Are you okay? He's like, Yeah, it's just, man, I never been a part of something like this. I'm like. Should be a part of something like this all the time, mm-hmm. you know, between him and Jungle Boy and, and Darby and all these kids got great, and they're not, they're not being held back to express their feelings and their creativity, right? Especially Darby more so than anybody. I think I mean, that kid's one got, of the main directors on this cinema. Oh my gosh, match. it was extremely well done. You know, that's one thing that that I noticed is that when we bring in. I, I picked this up when I came back to Vince in 2016 when I was working with Kevin Owens and Seth and, and, and Roman and it's like Sami Zayn and Cesaro like working with these guys extends my career it gives them a rub but it gives me a rub too oh, of course I wouldn't want to go back and you know rekindle a feud with Hunter or Sean because like, then it's kind of like two older guys in the ring together if it's me versus you know Orange Cassidy it's just two guys working right. one has a bigger name value but one is super popular we do that here like by putting Darby with Sting that helped Darby and it helped Sting right. and it helped Ricky and it helped you know the, the Brian Cage and well, all from the beginning of time in our business it was always the protocol was on your way out or when you're an older guy is to help get the younger guys over that's right so you keep the business flourished and you keep the business going right some guys have a problem with that but that was always that was the, the protocol of the business and that's what we do here, not at the expense. You know, like when right. I watch, you know, the the, the the legends shows that the WWE has, they'll come and just beat up the legends, bury the legends, demean the legends. Our legends are treated with respect, right? Which conversely helps the guys that work with them, right? Get over too. They do stuff, but it's not to get a reaction or a pop. It's to help the other guy. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, that's I think exactly. we've done a really good job bringing the right right guys in that uh, understand that. Right. And then I come in and go, oh, there's your camera. <laughs> yeah. And you back on TV again. Yeah. And get a whole new push. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think we've done a great job over the last year, considering that we've been a company longer with no fans than we were with fans. Right. I mean, it was quite the strange adjustment. Thankfully, now we're starting to get more people, and hopefully we'll be able to go back touring again. But that was a very strange year to, to do what we do in front of nobody. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been crazy, that's for sure. But I think everybody uh, made the best of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially Tony. Yeah, totally, yeah. Last question for you. For your career, is there a match that stands out as, as, as your favorite or the best one that you've had or the one you were most proud of? Something that pops in your head? Um, not really. It wasn't one of our better matches, but I think 
only because it, it was the way it was done and the whole show was generated around us was the two out of three falls last night in ECW for me and Eddie because Joey did a marvelous job of commentary but the whole show revolved around us from beginning to end what were you the main event? I think we were the only show on the match on the show, pretty much. Oh, oh the way they the way they filmed like the it. TV show. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, like gotcha, a, gotcha. It was an hour TV show or something like that. Gotcha. And uh, just because the the raw emotion of the crowd, and it was me and Eddie leaving to go somewhere else to. Oh, you know, gotcha. Go, we were going to WCW at the time, leaving. And it was two good friends that were just going out and doing it their way, kind of a little Frank Sinatra there. <laughs> but. Um, you know, you worked up there, the crowds were crazy. Yeah. But they were also very respectful to guys that could wrestle. It wasn't always just about crashing through tables or bob wire or whatever. Well, they, they'd have a lot like AEW has. Right. You, have, you would have the barbed wire match, and then you'd have right. two out of three falls with yep. Ben, or with ben yeah. Malenko and, and Guerrero. Yeah, no, Paul was, Paul was very smart when, when it came to doing that because mm -hmm. he gave the audience different matches to watch, different yeah, styles. Like a buffet of styles. Yep, for sure. For Who sure. won the two out of three falls, do you remember? It was a tie. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Yeah, kind of wanted to. Eddie was like, "Why are we gonna have a tie?" I go, "Well, you never know. Maybe back you up another one again." <laughs> was it the third fall that landed? Yeah, third, third, third. Oh, I know it was third fall, and it was uh, both of our shoulders were down. Yeah, I'm surprised you weren't arguing who was gonna put each other over. <laughs> yeah. You're going over Dean. You're think, going over Eddie. That's what we did, and we both beat each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was half the fun. <laughs> Well, Dean, it's it's always cool talking to you, man. Like I said, it's uh, it's very brave for you to talk about Parkinson's. And if you see Dean in the future, just know he's not a junkie or he's not cold. <laughs> Send money. Yeah. Now, thank you for allowing me to use your platform. I really appreciate it. Thanks, bud.